You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Now, guys, here's a trivia question for you. What does the Salvation Army and the humble Sayo Biscuit have in common? Does anybody know? Bradley Pillinger, please. Let me just give an introduction to this man. This is totally unset up. Former Salvation Army. Bradley, please tell me what the, uh, what the explanation is. Well, the letters stand for Salvation Army Officer. There it is. Salvation Army Officer. When this biscuit was hit, I wondered if there'd be any pillagers here today. Uh, when this biscuit was introduced in 1906, right, uh, the Arnott's Company, this is one of two explanations, by the way. It's this one I like best because it fits in my, my, in my theme. Uh, and one of the Arnott brothers, Arthur, was the distinguished member of the Salvation Army. And the word is that they decided to name the biscuit in his honour, Salvation Army Officer. Fantastic. Your mum would be so proud of you today, Brad. That is fantastic. Um, I'm going to give this to to Erin for leading so well. Uh, Erin, there you go, Erin. It's OK. okay. <laughs> How good is a Sayo biscuit, hey? Listen, that's quite edible, OK? It's been in my pocket. It's OK. It's been, it's been protected by my hanky. It's OK. It's, keep it away from everything. Yes, he's going, oh, God. Well, you know, one of my favourite snacks is a, a raw sayo with a, a bit of sliced cheese on top. Wow. Uh, how many calories is that? Not too many, I hope, because I go through stacks of those. Terrific. Well, look, guys, look, be that as it may, that, that piece of worthless trivia uh, provides me with the perfect segue to say that for decades in this country and in other parts of the world, the most popular Christian organisation, bar none, has been the Salvation Army. In, not in terms of their numerical strength necessarily, but just in terms of their reputation and their public image. The good old Sallies. Why are they so popular? Well, because of their welfare work and their relief programs, because of their rapid appearance whenever there's a disaster or some tragedy. Their willingness to go into prisons, into hospitals, into terrible squalid slum areas, wherever they are needed, they'll be there. Their Red Shield appeal is endorsed by civic and uh, entertainment celebrities every year. It raises millions of dollars for their cause. People are inclined to give to the Sallies. Why? Because they perceive that that's what Christian churches should be doing. They're supposed to be doing that kind of thing to serve the needs of the poor, the hurting, the disenfranchised in an effective but humble way. Not too many frills. That's how people see it. This reputation, this perception the Salvation Army has is not the result of slick, relentless PR campaigns. Not at all. It's born out of the fact that these guys just show up and get on with the job. That's, that's the thing. Uh, it's clear. That's what everyday people, whether they have a religious orientation or not, whether they are spiritually inclined or not, it's clear that that's the perception everyday people have when it comes to Christianity. That's what Christians ought to be doing. And this expectation is not surprising when we consider that most people are aware of the story of the Good Samaritan. And many would attribute that to Jesus. 
People know that Jesus said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That they got some vague knowledge that he said, love your neighbour. I mean, some of these sayings and versions thereof have become part of our popular vernacular. And the expectation is there. Even when people speak negatively of Christians, what do they say? Oh, yeah, trust those do-gooders. Huh? So it even comes through when they're, when they're criticising us. The Church of Jesus Christ is called to serve, it's called to minister, it's called to meet the needs of people as and where they are. Friends, that's our calling in Christ. And although the church has dropped the ball many times and it's fallen way short of where it should be in the area of Christian service, and we, we want to acknowledge that, the fact is that if you were to remove the Christian presence, the Christian initiatives and enterprises from things like social welfare, aged care, prison and hospital chaplaincy, counselling services of various kinds, support for Indigenous communities, disaster relief. If you were to take the Christian presence out of all those areas, it would be a very different community in which we'd be living. And when it comes to developing nations, if you were to take the Christian presence out of care for the orphans, medical treatment, human trafficking, poverty, hunger relief, support of children through compassion and so on, and so much more. If these services provided by Christians and Christian organisations were to suddenly and unexpectedly disappear, the results would be catastrophic. Absolutely catastrophic. You're aware of that. Having said that, having said that, it needs to be said, the Christian church does not have exclusive rights to the virtues of love, compassion, grace, and mercy. And although it's stating the obvious, I really feel it needs to be said today. There are some inspiring individuals and organisations out there that do amazing work in all of the areas I listed just a few moments ago. These people are motivated by a genuine desire to reach out and get involved in humanitarian causes. But it raises the question, what's the difference? What's the difference between service and support given by Christians as opposed to any other form of service? Is it in the quality and the consistency? Is it in the programs and the personnel? In an overall sense, I don't believe you can say that. But I do believe that we can assert there is something unique. There's something distinctive about service in the name of Christ. You see, I'm going to run you through a few of these. Here's the first one. Service and ministry in the name of Christ are distinctive and unique because, firstly, they are motivated by a heartfelt gratitude for what God has done and is doing for us. That's the motivation. John puts it as neatly and as succinctly as you can possibly get it when he says in 1 John 4, 19, we love, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. It's in response to what God has already done for us. And so when you're gripped by the reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ, when, when, when you're gripped by what he's done for us in raising him from the dead and, and, and thereby giving us the guarantee of eternal life, when we're gripped by the fact that he's given us the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide, to lead, to teach, to heal, to empower when you're, when you're gripped by these things, you're, you're drawn into a, a lifestyle that's characterised by service and, and selflessness. At least that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it should be. 
That's our calling. Paul puts it beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. God has made us what we are. And in our union with Christ Jesus, he has created us for a life of good deeds, which he's already prepared for us to do. That's the response of the person who's come into a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. God has made us what we are. And in our union with Christ Jesus, he's created us for a life of good deeds. Friends, I've seen it over the years in my ministry, and I certainly see it here at Northside. Wow. I mean, people serve. They take on ministries. But they get up early to, to serve in a whole hundred, host of ways here on a Sunday. They give of their time and their money. They go on mission trips. They lead connection groups. They get involved in 101 different things within their own community as a Christian presence in schools and other civic organisations. And, and many of you are involved at that level. Why? Because I want to say thank you to God. I just want to say thank you, God, for what you've done for me in Jesus Christ. Look, this is exciting enough when you see it among, among Christians who've grown up in a Christian environment where they know that this kind of thing is expected. That's exciting enough. But it's especially exciting. It's especially exciting to see it among new Christians who start adjusting their priorities. And in some cases, radically altering their lifestyle to get involved in service and ministry. Friends, we've seen a lot of that here at Northside. We continue to see a lot of that here. And why is all this so distinctive and unique? Well, here's the thing. Here's part of the answer. Look, you can serve out of guilt. You know, Come on, we're all showing up. Everybody in the office is doing it. Come on, you've got to be there. You can serve out of guilt. You can serve out of obligation. You can serve out of intimidation. But service, service out of gratitude should and can be a thoroughly soul-enriching experience, which is a special blessing to the ones serving and also to the ones being served. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, look at this. Everything you do or say then should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus as you give thanks through him to God the Father. Paul's saying like the whole of life, really, especially in this area of service. But the whole of life should be an expression of our thanksgiving to God. Friends, here's another point of uniqueness with Christian service and ministry. They are rendered without strings or obligation. Now, I'll concede that's not exclusive to Christian expressions of service, not, not for one minute. But it does provide me with the opportunity to point out that some forms of service do have strings attached. They may be part of a, a corporate promotion and directed towards certain groups uh, as part of a, you know, a publicity campaign. Uh, sometimes there are eligibility requirements for certain forms of service. Uh, sometimes high-profile people will only give their time and energy if they can be really assured of a little bit of exposure. Uh, look, none of these things are wrong in themselves and, and none of them take away from the effectiveness of the service necessarily. But when it comes to service in the name of Christ, there are no strings attached. And more often than not, there are no tangible rewards at all for those involved in the service. In many instances, it's just you and God. He knows. The person knows. 
the group knows, but, but nobody else knows. All we have is the satisfaction of knowing that in as much as we have done it to somebody, we've done it to him. That's the, that's the takeaway for the Christian. Consistently throughout his ministry, Jesus made himself available on this basis. The classic example would be the feeding of the 5,000. You know, the disciples come to Jesus. Lord, you've been going on. You know, we've got a whole bunch of people here getting hungry. And uh, we're going to have to do something about it. Jesus says, what have we got? Well, we've got a few loaves, a few fishes. Jesus didn't, get, Jesus didn't get up and say, okay, we're about to have a miracle here. Everybody stay seated. It's going to be fantastic. Everybody's going to be fed. Okay. Oh, by the way, what are you doing Sunday? <laughs> you know, can we have a show of hands? Uh, just to, no, didn't, didn't say that. Like, it's like everybody. Everybody was eligible. And even when Jesus started to talk about some of the serious aspects of, of him as the bread of life, they all disappeared. And friends, that's one of the real realities of service in the name of Jesus. I've lived this stuff for 40 years. There are no guarantees when you start serving in the name of, of the Lord. There are no guarantees. Uh, you know, it's, it's different from outreach and evangelism. There you, there you can expect some sort of response and you can do a bit of a measurement. You know, how do we go with this sort of effort we made, evangelism, whatever. But when it comes to service, which I believe is the best, ultimately the best form of evangelism anyway, it's about the people. It's about the people who are serving, their needs, their hurts, their pain. I came across this years ago when I was talking to a group of ministers. And um, one of the things we dropped on was uh, the very successful craft group that my last church ran in, in Adelaide. Uh, Marion Church of Christ gave over a whole day every week. Still does. Not quite, as, not quite at the same level as before. But a whole day where we would totally transform the entire auditorium into a craft extravaganza. Every corner of the auditorium, we, we'd pay people to set it up, pay people to take it down. All the leaders were volunteers. But this would attract literally hundreds of people from the area. We paid for childcare. It was a, a very, very, very slick and very effective operation. And so uh, the, the leader of that group, a lady called Maggie McDonald, was presented with the Order of Australia uh, some years after my departure. That, that's how it was regarded, uh, even in the political and civic arena. Marvellous, experience, marvellous operation. And so one guy put his hand up. He said, look, we've, we've tried this. You know, craft in the 80s and 90s, that was the big thing. Uh, coming back to our ladies involved in it. Um, you know, we, we've tried this, but it's not working for us. We, we don't seem to be able to get people beyond our own, our own community. And I said, well, what are you doing? G give me an idea of how. He said, well, we start off with a 15-minute devotion. And, and then we go into I said, hey, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey wait, wait a minute. What, you what? He said, we start off with a 15-minute devotion. You know, kind of set the tone. I said, so you're really only aiming for Christians? Oh, no, 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 we want the whole community to come. I said, mate, if people want a 15-minute devotion on a Wednesday or a Tuesday, they'll come to church on a Sunday. Like, you know, I know what you're trying to do, but is it about them or is it about you? And I explained how that at, at, uh, at Marion, it was all about relationships. My team knew that they had to allocate a certain amount of time, 15 minutes minimum, on a Wednesday to move around those hundreds of people over two sessions. Just talking, getting to know them, building bridges of friendship. I had the extraordinary situation on a few occasions where people would bump into me down at the Marion Shopping Centre and they'd say, oh, to a friend, they'd say, oh, you must come across and meet, this is my minister, Graham Agnew. These people would never darken the church door. 
This is my minister, Graham Agnew, because I've been involved with them with their kids or we'd maybe buried mum or dad or something, you know. And I praise God, many of these people did come to Christ over the years, over the 17 years. Many did. Fantastic. But it was earning the right to be heard. It was building bridges. And at Christmas time, we gave over the whole craft day to a Christmas service, the whole shooting match. Hymns, carols, prayers, the message. And they would flock in the same numbers because they knew we were fair income about providing something for them that they couldn't at that time find anywhere else in the community. We had their needs, their their need, their, their desires at heart. And friends, that's how it is. I mean, serving people in the name of Jesus is where the medium becomes the message. That's it. We become the message. And so who we are and what we do means so much more than what we say, even though we look for opportunities to say it. And we would grasp those. Here's another unique and distinctive aspect of Christian service and ministry. Both of these things can be a source of transformational growth and power within the life of the one who's serving and ministering. Let's be honest. Service to others can be draining. (laughs) You notice that? I mean, the burnout rate among social workers, among therapists, among counsellors, among virtually anybody in the, in the help industry, the burnout rate is huge. It's higher than it should be among Christians. But that's not how it's meant to be. Jesus said those who save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life, get involved, just let it all flow, they will save it. What did he mean by find it? That's the, that's the question. What did he mean by How do we reconcile the notion of losing one's life and finding one's life? What is the explanation behind this apparent paradox? Friends, I'll be honest. I'm not sure if it can be explained. I'm not sure if it can be. But I do know this. It can be observed. And it can certainly be experienced. I got stacks of you jump up and, and attest to that. It can certainly be. We're at our best. Here's the reality. Look, we're, we're at our best when we're giving. We're at our best when we're serving. When we're doing for others, when we're reaching out. This is when we're fully human, fully alive. There's just so much evidence of this around the world. That's when we grow in our empathy, our compassion, our sense of grace and mercy and justice. You can have it all. And be as impoverished emotionally as anybody can be. I've been into homes like that. And the missing link is any thought of serving and letting the resources flow and being a benefit to others. And you know, sometimes the turnaround in the life of a taker, when they become a giver, the turnaround can be transformational, hence this point, can be. Burnout among Christians is a reality. Sometimes that's due to health issues which can't be explained and that's another case. But often it's due to loss of vision. Just sort of going through the motions. I know colleagues like that, just going through the motions. No churches like that, just going through the motions. Loss of vision. A loss of balance. A loss of balance can be a contributing factor to burnout. You know, I'm talking about the need to replenish our souls and our spirits regularly, to stay close to God, to maintain a relationship with Him through prayer, reading, through worship, through communion. 
to acknowledge that only those who are being filled have something to give. There's a truism for you. Only those who are being filled have something to give. And so many in this church are proving that the process of growth and personal enrichment through service is ongoing. Age is no barrier. Hence this point about, you know, it's, you, don't, you don't have to burn out. Some of my main examples in life and ministry are in their 90s. And I often say to my family, that's, that's how I'm going to, yeah, God willing, that's, that's how I want to be. My, a man who had more impact on my life perhaps than any other over the years, Gordon Sterling from the College of the Bible. He was still preaching at 95. And I have a friend, remember I said one morning here, I talked about a guy who was outlining all these projects to me on the phone and getting excited about the sale of this warehouse and how he was still funding projects in India. And I raved on, right? And you all said, well, yeah, what's what's the big deal about that? And I said, that guy this week celebrated 95th birthday. Like that's, I've seen people, I'm seeing people here. You try and keep Elaine Fitzpatrick away from the office here on Tuesday. She's 90. She just wants to be here. Like the, the, the growth, the transformational growth, it's, there's something special about Christian service. And so many of you are proving that. Friends, here's the final point. Service and ministry in the name of Jesus Christ are distinctive and unique because they provide the framework for cohesion or for unity and cohesion among the people of God. Now, we looked at unity last week. And in simple terms, as simply as I can get it, based on what I've seen over the years, a church with a strong external focus, a church that's really taking seriously the needs of its community and the greater world, they haven't got the time or the inclination to squabble. There are too many big things to get into than to worry about, did we have a benediction or not? Or, or who, who agreed to that colour on the door? Like, you know, people go, what? What, 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 what are you talking about? <laughs> In light of what you heard about Bathurst, who would, who, who's worried about you know, little nitpicking? You know, if there's a, a commitment to, to an external focus, churches haven't got the time or the inclination to squabble, at least not on a big scale. There are times, there are times when churches do lose their focus. They turn inward and they lose sight of why they exist. And they're the times when a congregation loses sight of the most powerful image of the church in the whole of the New Testament. What is that image? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. The most powerful image of the church in the New Testament. And what constitutes a healthy, functioning Effective body when every part is working well. Oh, gosh, didn't mean to do that. Uh, <laughs> when every part is working well, that's a, that's a healthy body. And, and friends, when every part is working as it should, that, that's the graphic image we have of the church, the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Paul says, Christ is like a single body which has many parts. Verse 27, he says, all of you are Christ's body and each one has a part to play. Each one has a part to play. Northside's history, as I look back over my time and Jay Basic before me, Northside's history, really, when you think about it, is people discovering the part they have to play. That's why this is such a great church. 
They've discovered the gifts they have to offer. And then by the grace of God, they get on board and start using those gifts in pursuit of our God-inspired vision, building the community to serve the community. And in doing so, we've been able to serve and minister within a framework of unity and cohesion. Praise God for that. As Christians, the call to serve is inescapable. It's inescapable. Jesus commands it. But more than that, he models it. I mean, after all, he's the one who said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life to redeem many people. Friends, I thank God for those of you who are serving so beautifully and so powerfully in this church. Can I urge you to keep on serving? Don't allow this time of transition to be a time when you say, oh, you know what, maybe it's time for me to step down or I've had a run. No, no, no. Sam and the team and the elders are going to need you more than ever. If it's a replenishment issue, you need to be replenished and sort of stimulated. In your... That's a different thing. Talk about that. But don't equate that with stepping back. Two very different things. You might need a little bit of time out. I don't know what, but don't replace, don't rather confuse replenishment of your soul and your spirit with stepping out altogether. So thank you to those of you who serve so faithfully. To those of you who are still discovering the part you should play and you're yet to really get involved in some area of service. Will you pray into that? Because we are going to need more people on board than ever as the new leadership takes Northside to the next step. Some of you are thinking, well, you know, I'm not sure what I should get involved in. You know, it's so many different. Bill Heibel says, get involved in the things that make you cry. You know, the things that touch your heart. So what is it, kids? Is it the elderly? Is it the homeless people of, of Willamaloo or or the struggling people of Glebe? Is it the indigenous communities out in Bathurst? Is it overseas like Madagascar? Is it the local community here connecting? Is it running some of our, helping in some of our programs, divorce care, grief share, all the things we do to try to meet? Get involved in the things that make you cry. And somebody else says, well, the needs are so overwhelming. Man, I mean, where do you even start? It's Andy Stanley who says, do for one what you'd love to do for everyone. People sort of get overwhelmed by the, some of the needs of society, the, the disconnection and the breakdown of relationships. Where do you start? You start with a person across the road. You start with that elderly person down the road who never has anybody says hi to him. And some of you are doing this so beautifully in your own communities. Do for one what you'd love to do for everyone. Start small. Thank God for the service history of Northside Community Church. Thank God for what's happening now. Praise God for the continuation of this service external orientation that I know is part of the DNA here. Praise God because that's going to move this church increasingly toward its full potential in Christ. And guess what? There's a long way to go yet. Wow. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?